that. All right. Now, with that, let's go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. We're working our way through the gospel of John, and uh, we're going to kind of tidy up the end of chapter 2. And this morning, we're going to look at the subject, Believing Believers. Believing Believers. At the end of the cleansing of the temple, we, we read this last week, but let's pick up with verse 22. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. He had, he had predicted, he had prophesied his resurrection. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He himself knew what was in man. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and occasion to gather together and be together as your people and in your house and in your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, Sam and Courtney and their family and the opportunity to meet them and now to pray for them and encourage them. And God, we pray, we pray your provision, your protection, your blessing on them every step of the way as you just work out the details of getting them in country. And then Lord, uh, just use them as lights in a very dark place. So, Lord, we, 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 we do begin today to lift them before you. Lord, we pray for workers. Uh, you, you, you told us to pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would thrust forth laborers into the harvest because the harvest is plenteous and the laborers are few. So, Lord, that's where we are, and we ask that you would just compel laborers into the harvest, Sunday school teachers, Awana workers, and so forth. So, Lord, uh, just, just push your people into the fray. And now, Lord, we pray that you had opened our hearts and our minds to receive your word with meekness, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, let's think about believing believers. There's believing, and then there's believing. Um, if you have your listening guide or your bulletin, there's a listening guide on the back panel. Let's just jump right in. First of all, I want you to see that these verses that we just read, they serve as a functional transition. John is masterfully moving us from the temple cleansing into the nighttime conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So there's kind of a segue here. It's a transition, but it is a seamless transition. We have the theme of believing in verse 22, 23, and 24, and that's going to carry over into John's, into chapter 3 with Jesus and Nicodemus. You know, uh, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We also have this theme of, of Jesus knowing what is going going on in a, in, a, in a man, in a person's life. That's not just he knows the condition of humanity, but he knows what's going on in, in an individual's heart and mind and life. And Nicodemus will be a case in point, and so will the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We also have this, uh, this, this key word of man, or in the Greek it's anthropos, but in verse 25, he didn't need anyone to testify concerning man. He knew what was in man. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man. And so here we go. It's just this seamless transition that moves us from, from the temple cleansing and prepares us for Nicodemus. So there's this transition. There's also a messianic indication. Now, remember, John is writing this so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We saw that in chapter 20, that there are many signs that Jesus did that are not written here, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing have life in his name. So that's the whole agenda. And we've seen here in chapter 2 indications of, of Jesus as the Messiah. He, with messianic zeal, with messianic authority, he cleansed the temple, drove the money changers and the merchants out of the temple. And then he predicted his own 
Resurrection, we saw that as well. So that's, that's again, it's a, it's a sign, it's an indication. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And now we have another indication uh, that Jesus has supernatural knowledge. He has divine knowledge. He, he, he says in verse 25, he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's a divine knowledge. Now, as you read the Old Testament, you already know God knows what's in our hearts. God, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. For example, in Jeremiah 17, God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the man, uh, the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Jeremiah 20 says that God sees the mind and the heart. In 1 Chronicles 28, the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. I mean, that's just a sampling. He goes on and on. God knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. You know, the old saying, you can fool some people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, you can't fool God any of the time. He knows. He knows what's in your heart, what's in your mind. He knows you. Well, now we find out Jesus knows our hearts as well. So on your outline, God knows our hearts. And then we find out, well, Jesus knows our hearts. He has that same knowledge, that same insight. He has a divine knowledge because he is divine. He is the son of God. We got a glimpse of that in chapter one in Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel. You know, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. We talked about that. We're going to hear it again in chapter six and verse 64. Jesus will tell the crowds, there's some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. So again, there's a messianic indication. Jesus is the son of God. He is the Messiah. But then we also have a personal implication. And here's where we want to camp out this morning. Here's what I want us to focus on in these verses, a personal implication. Notice the word believe. In verse 22, his, when he was raised from the dead, remember Jesus predicted his resurrection. He was, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this. Holy Spirit brings it to remembrance. They believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They believed. And then in verse 23, during Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. And then verse 24, but Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. The word entrusting is actually the same word, believed. So we have this same word showing up three times in three verses. As you read the Gospels, here's what you're going to find out. Not all believing is the same. <laughs> Not all believers are believers. Not all faith is a saving faith. Not all disciples are disciples. There's believing and there's believing. Now, at the risk of getting too deep in the weeds and, and a little technical, let me teach you a Greek word this morning. I put it on your outline. It's the word pistuo. And that's the word that's translated here, believe. They believed, the disciples believed, the crowds believed, Jesus entrusted, not entrusting. It's the same word, pistuo. John likes this word. Now, he never uses the noun form for faith, pistis. That's, that's kind of weird. He never uses the noun, but he uses this verb a lot. Compared to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they use it oh, about 10 or 12 times a piece, from 9 to 14 times. So about a dozen times a piece. John uses this verb 98 times. He likes this word. It's a key word in the gospel of John, and it's a key word in this passage. Now, the word pistuo, John, I mean, John likes this. It can be used in different ways. Sometimes it means just to believe, to accept as fact, to take as true. Do you believe it's going to rain today? I believe it is. You know, you believe it, you accept it as true. Sometimes it means to, to trust in, to have faith in. 
to believe something to the point of trusting it. Kind of like the chair you're sitting in. You believed it would hold you up. Well, then you sat down. You, you faithed it. You put your trust in that chair to hold you up. So it's believing something enough to trust it, having faith. Sometimes this word means to have Christian faith, to believe the gospel, to believe in Jesus, to put your faith in Christ and thus become a follower of Christ, to be a child of God, to be a believer. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation to them that believe. So it's the same, same idea, to believe the gospel, to, to have faith in Christ. And then sometimes it can mean to entrust, to put something in the care of someone else. Paul uses it this way several times when he talks about being entrusted with the gospel. That's how it's translated in verse 24. Jesus was not entrusting himself to them. But it's all the same word, pistuo. So I, I say all that to say there's believing and then there's believing. So let's kind of parse this out. Let's look at different kinds of belief or unbelief this morning based on, based on this passage and the rest of Scripture. First of all, on your outline, I want you to see that there is an unbelievable unbelief. Unbelievable unbelief. Now, that's really not in view in these verses that we just read, but we're going to encounter it in the gospel. The scribes, the Pharisees, the other religious leaders, they refused to believe in Jesus Christ. They were hardened in their unbelief. It didn't matter what signs Jesus performed. No single sign would convince them. No amount of signs would convince them. Later on in chapter 11, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you think that would get somebody's attention? You know, <laughs> dead man walking. Jesus raises a man from the dead. What's their response? Well, now we've got to kill Lazarus and Jesus because people are believing in Jesus because of Lazarus, because he raised him from the dead. That's unbelievable unbelief. Just hardened unbelief. They would not believe. They could not believe. They would not. They were hardened in their unbelief. You know, the Bible says that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So there's, and I call it an unbelievable unbelief because sometimes it's just unbelievable what people won't believe. <laughs> it's just unbelievable when they refuse to see what's right in front of them. I mean, it's right there. How can you not see it? How can you not believe it? Unbelievable unbelief. Again, that's not really in these verses, but always, we're going to see it in the gospel. Now, here in, the, here in this passage, though, we're really dealing with unbelieving belief. Unbelieving belief. Or namely, a belief without faith. An unbelieving belief or a belief without faith. Not all faith is a saving faith. Not all believers are believers. Not all disciples are disciples. Now, we've already seen John likes irony. John likes double meanings. And there's kind of a, there's, there's a, a, a play on words here in these verses where during the feast, many believed in his name, but Jesus was not entrusting. Again, it's pistuo. He was not entrusting himself to them. In other words, he had no faith in their faith. <laughs> they were believing, but he didn't believe their believing. Uh, they trusted in him, but he didn't trust in them. It's, it's kind of, that's the play on words. They believed, but he did not entrust himself to them. Here's what Gerald Borchardt said about this. He said, the real point is that Jesus did not believe their believing. Accordingly, we need to understand that the living Jesus does not believe everyone's believing because he knows what is in them. I mean, that's verse 25. These words ought to stand as a warning to everyone. That's, that's strong. Listen to it again. We need to understand that the living Jesus does not believe everyone's believing because he knows what is in them. 
These words ought to stand as a warning to everyone. This unbelieving belief can take several forms. It may just be intellectual, an intellectual belief. It's an unbelieving belief, a belief without faith. It's intellectual. It's a, it's a head faith without a heart faith, a head knowledge without heart knowledge. I think it was Adrian Rogers who used to say, there are a lot of folks who go and miss heaven by 18 inches. Difference between the head and the heart. You can believe the right things about Jesus. You can have a head knowledge. You can agree with doctrinal statements. You can believe all the right things about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can have a PhD in theology and not know the risen Savior, not be a child of God. I was an example of this. I was raised in church. I was raised in a Christian home by godly parents, and I was raised at church. Me, we were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I, I was there all the time. I was raised in this stuff. And as a teenage boy, I was orthodox in my beliefs. I knew what I needed to know, and I believed what I needed to believe. I was completely orthodox, but I didn't know Jesus. And the Holy Spirit revealed it, convicted me. You, you believe about me, but you don't believe in me. You know about me, but you don't know me. And as a teenager, I had to repent and say, oh, Jesus, have mercy on me, a, savior, a sinner. Save me. You can have a head knowledge without a heart faith. It's an unbelieving belief. Then it could be uh, an insincere faith, an insincere belief. Judas would be a, uh, an example of this. Judas was a, quote, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was, he was one of the 12 for most of the Lord's earthly ministry. He was in the inner circle. And yet he was not truly a disciple of Jesus Christ. When Jesus told his disciples, one of you will betray me, the, the rest of the crew, I remember Judas was a treasurer as well. You don't, you don't give money to somebody you don't trust. He was the treasurer for the group. And when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, the rest of the disciples didn't say, I, I bet it's going to be Judas, don't you? I, I don't, he's got beady eyes. I just don't trust him. I think he's sneaky. No, the disciples said, is it I? Is it I? It's not me, is it, Lord? They didn't suspect Judas, only the Lord suspected Jesus. Uh, Judas goes, the Lord knows. He knows what's in a man's heart. But Judas was, he was a disciple, but he was never really a disciple. It's an insincere belief. This is what John talks about in 1 John, 1 John 2, 4. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. See, it's an insincere belief. Oh yeah, I know the Lord. I know the Lord but you don't keep his commandments. You don't follow his, his ways. You, you don't live for the Lord. Don't say, you know him, you're a liar. Truth is not in you. It's an insincere profession of faith. In first John two, nine, the one who says he's in the light and yet hates his brother, he's in the darkness till now. He says he's in the light. No, he's not. And verse in chapter four, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Oh, I, oh, how I love Jesus. But I hate that guy over there. Nope. It's an insincere belief. It's not true. It's not a true faith. It's insincere. It's an unbelieving belief. And then this, this unbelief can also take the form of a superficial belief, a superficial faith. And I think that's what's in view here in verse 23. These are the sign seekers, the crowd that's following Jesus around. Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. They're the sign seekers. Over in John chapter 6, turn with me over there. In John chapter 6, the crowds were following Jesus. 
I mean, they're all about the miracles. He feeds the 5,000. Remember that story? He feeds the 5,000. That's 5,000 men. You had the women and children to it. It could be 15 or 20,000 people. But Jesus feeds the multitudes. So they're all about the free food and the miracles and all that. And then in verse 15, John 6, 15, Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Again, he knows what's going on in the heart of man. But they want to make him their king. He, he's not the Messiah that they wanted. <laughs> they loved him when they thought he was going to be the Messiah they wanted. And then when he doesn't turn out to be the Messiah they wanted, they don't want him anymore. There are a lot of folks who treat Jesus like that today. They're all about Jesus as long as he's the Jesus they want. The Jesus of their own imagination. The Jesus of their own concoction. Patrick Morley said years ago, there's the God you want, there's the God who is, and they are not the same. Well, down in chapter, chapter 6, down in verse 60, in verse, in verse 60, he says, many of his disciples, when they heard this, he, he goes on with the bread of life discourse. This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They left in droves. Not all disciples are disciples. Not all believers are believers. Not all faith is a saving faith. Uh, go with me to Matthew chapter 13. In Mark 4, Matthew 13, we have the parable of the soils. Now, we're not going to rehearse that whole parable, and, but uh, we're just going to drop in on the punchline because this is, in the parable of the soils, we see this superficial faith, this superficial belief, this unbelieving belief. Uh, Jesus, in the parable of the soils, you know, you have the, the hardened soil uh, where the seed doesn't even take root. That would be that unbelief. And then we have the, the, the uh, rocky soil in verse 20. Jesus said, the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. That's that superficial faith. This, this, these are the crowds, again, who are, are all about the free food and they're all about the miracles. But as soon as Jesus talks, talk, starts talking about taking up your cross, denying yourself, loving me before your family and all the rest, they found somewhere else to be. Uh, the, these are the folks who show up at church one time and uh, they're, they're hitting a rough patch in their life and they're at rock bottom and they're scared and they're panicked and, and, they, and they're convicted and they're guilty and they come and they make grand commitments to Jesus Christ and three weeks later you can't find them. <laughs> Someone's called them Alka-Seltzer Christians. You dip them in water, they fizz for a while and then they disappear. <laughs> it's that is that superficial? It's a superficial, it's an unbelieving belief. They're sold out for Jesus until the first sign of trouble, till the first hint of persecution, till the first call for self-sacrifice and then to find somewhere else to be. And then the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the word and the deceitfulness of, the, of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. These are again, folks who initially respond positively, positively to the gospel and oh, how they love Jesus, but they love the world more. And they have a divided heart, divided mind, divided loyalties. So it's a superficial belief. In John chapter 8, Jesus will say, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. The obverse would be, if you don't continue in my word, 
then you're not my disciples indeed. It's a superficial faith. I believe that's what's in view here in verse 23. But then there's believable belief. So we have, a, we have an unbelievable unbelief. <laughs> then we have an unbelieving belief. But then there is a believable belief. A, a, a believing belief. This is belief with faith. And that's the real difference between verses 22 and 23. His disciples believed the scripture and the word which he had spoken compared to the, the crowds that believed in, in the signs and so forth. That, this is the difference. The UBS, United Bible Society's translator's handbook on John, said this, to believe in Jesus is not merely to agree with certain facts about him. It is rather a commitment or trust of one's life to him and to his way of life. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. Again, not intellectual, not superficial, but you commit your heart and your life to him. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to live life his way. I'm going to live life for him. I'm going to trust him with my life, my death, my eternity. That's a believing belief. That's what it means to be saved. Jesus put it this way. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And if anyone wishes to save his life, he'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. This is a believable belief. It's believable in the sense that Jesus believes in it. I think that's, that's the play on words that we hear in verse 24. Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. He wasn't believing in their believing. On the other hand, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have belief with faith, Jesus believes that belief. <laughs> and he does entrust himself to believers. What does that look like? Well, we hear it in John chapter 10, where Jesus will say, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He entrusts himself to his believers. It's a believable belief. He believes in it. It's also believable in the sense that you can believe in it. It's a believable belief because there's evidence to back it up. There, there's fruit that signifies a belief with faith. James puts it this way. I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, works without faith is a dead faith. Can that faith save him? No, it can't. But I'll show you my faith by my works. The whole gospel, or the whole letter of 1 John is about this. The whole, the whole letter of 1 John is, if you have fellowship with the Father, here's what that looks like in your life. Here's, here's the evidence of true discipleship. Here's what real belief looks like. Here's what a real Christian looks like, acts like, sounds like. That's the whole book of 1 John. And again, Jesus will say in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. It is a believable belief. There's evidence to support it. You can believe it. It's, it's, a, it's a belief with faith, and it's a faith that works. Now, this believable belief, it can take on a couple of forms as well. It may be an immature faith. It can be an immature belief, an immature faith where someone is just taking the first steps of faith, just stepping toward God. It's an immature, it's a baby step faith. It's fragile, it's tentative, it's not fully developed. It may even be based on signs. Uh, over in John chapter 10, in John chapter 10, Jesus says in verse 37, John 10, 37, if I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. 
So <laughs> did you hear Jesus? Even if you don't believe in me, well, you can at least believe in the works that I'm doing. That'll, that'll get you on the road. It's an immature faith. It's, it's, it's not a good faith. It's a shallow faith, but it's better than no faith. It's better than unbelief. And then you can grow in that faith. So it's a superficial, or rather it's, a, it's an immature faith. Some scholars would say that's in view in verse 23, that these are tentative first steps toward God. Could be. And then there's increasing faith. This believable belief takes the form of increasing faith, a faith that grows, a faith that matures. And that's, I think that's the journey that we see uh, the disciples taking. In verse 22, they believed the scripture which the word uh, and the word which Jesus had spoken. We, we saw this back in chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. After Jesus turned the water into wine at Cana, it said in, in verse 11, this beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So after he turns the water into wine, his disciples believed in him. Is that when they started believing in him? No, they already believed in him. Is that when they became disciples? No, they're already disciples. Is that when they started following him? No, they're already following him. They were just confirmed and what they already knew. They were confirmed in their faith. They were confirmed in their discipleship. They were strengthened in their fellowship. They, they, they already believed. Now they believe more. <laughs> now they believe better. And then we have that same sense in verse 22. After the resurrection, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance, you know, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, hey, the Holy Spirit reminded them, Jesus said this. He said it would happen. Hey, you know what happened? And now they believe the scripture. Did they not believe the scripture before? Of course they believed the scripture before, but now they believe it more than they ever did. They, they've seen it fulfilled. They believe the word which Jesus had spoken. Did they not believe him before? No, they did believe him before. They're just confirmed. They're increasing in their faith. You know, that's the journey of faith, isn't it? If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you should know him better and believe him better than you used to. Not that you didn't know him, not that you didn't believe him, but you know what, when you walked with him for a while and you found him faithful and trustworthy and God shows up and God answers prayers and God is always faithful, lo and behold, you, you know him better than you ever knew him and you trust him better than you ever trusted him. Your faith is deeper and stronger than it used to be. It's an increasing faith, a strengthening faith as you walk with him. So the disciples, they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. They believe the written word, the spoken word. They believe the written word and the living word. So I believe the challenge of this text for us this morning is, where are you? Where's your belief? I doubt if you are in that unbelieving, unbe unbelievable unbelief. I mean, there's folks, who, folks with that unbelievable unbelief tend not to show up at church. I doubt that that's you. Might be, but I doubt it. But my friend, make sure you're not one of these folks with an unbelieving belief, a belief that doesn't really believe, a belief without faith. Do you just have an intellectual faith? Don't miss heaven by 18 inches. You got him in your head, but he's not in your heart. You believe all the right things about him, but you don't know him. Make sure that's not you. It was me once upon a time. Make sure that's not you. Or a secondhand faith. Well, mom and dad were Christians, so I guess I'm a Christian. That won't do it. Make sure you have that a believable belief, a belief with faith, a faith that works. It's believable. It's demonstrable. You see it. You know it. Other people can see it. Jesus believes it, and you're growing in it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
Thank you for this time uh, in this text. God, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just have full sway in our hearts and our lives. And a text like this can make us pretty uncomfortable when uh, sometimes we need to be convicted. God, I pray for the one who has an unbelieving belief, a belief that, that doesn't believe, a belief without faith. Whatever form it might be taking, whatever the background, the true fact is they don't know you. They're not saved. They have a faith that won't save, a belief that doesn't believe. God, I pray that you convict that, convict that person, reveal that truth to them. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of, of, of salvation, that they would step out and say, I, I need Jesus. I believe, but I don't have faith. I, I know about him, but I don't know him. I need to be saved. God, just take charge. And for the one who is tentative and stepping in, in a fragile faith, Lord, I pray that they'd grow in their faith. Just take charge and drive this message home to our own hearts and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.